Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is podcast 322. Good news today. We have a special guest. It's Jason Hewlett. Jason, welcome. How you doing, Kurt? Thanks for having me, man. Oh, man. It's, it's good to have you here. been following you for a while. It's a quick bio about Jason, so whoever understands where we're coming from. He's just uh, finished a book called The Promise. We'll be talking about that. It's coming out this spring. He's one of the youngest inductees to the prestigious Speaker Hall of Fame, and that's a big deal. If you don't know, that's the National Speakers Association. He's been he's delivered thousands of presentations over a couple decades, and he's unique because he speaks on leadership, but he uses humor and comedy impressions, and you got to see this happening. So, Jason, let's start off with the first question, the hardest question of the day. What is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? <laughs> Uh, I'd say kale. Kale. Uh, that's probably too easy of an answer. <laughs> uh, kale is the one that everyone tells me you have to eat, and then it gets stuck in your teeth, and then you're miserable after you've eaten it because you are no fuller than you started. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as much effort to eat versus the calories you burn, and anybody in public speaking knows that you cannot eat kale or spinach before you speak because it's guaranteed, as you know, to get stuck in your teeth every time. Well, the Grammys was recent, and uh, one of the singers actually was being made fun of throughout the performance because he had a spinach salad before going on stage. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes, you're totally right. You have to make sure not to do that before you take the stage. <laughs> and it's guaranteed. You think you're okay, you've licked, but there's always stuff that is either your zipper's down or there's something in your teeth or anyway... So that's an important safety tip for anybody that's in front of an audience. Even if in front of one person, check your teeth, check your fly, because it's always going to happen to you. It's happened to the best of us. So true, so true. All right. Well, I love your style. You use a lot of comedy, a lot of entertainment. I spent a lot of my life doing persuasive presentations, train the trainer type presentations. I teach public speaking at the university. And, and there's a word flowing out there called edutainment, which is combining education and entertainment. And you're one of the best out there that combines those two worlds what is it, and uh, why do you think it's important to do that? Well, I personally don't utilize the wording of edutainment just because, but I do aspire to be in that category. So the education portion being first, I would say, is a wonderful spot to be. But the only way to really educate people, and as far as the masses are concerned, I would say, would have to be through entertainment. And that's because it opens the heart to allow the mind to learn better to remember better, to actually internalize the messaging that is the important part, which is the education. That's awesome. I hope, listeners, you caught that. It opens people's heart. They like you better. They remember the message better. It grabs their attention. There's really little downside to using humor. And anybody can add a little humor. You can borrow a little humor in your presentations, whether it's one-on-one or in front of a group. But it just is so engaging to the audience, and it's becoming more and more important, especially with the attention spans being at an all-time low. So check out Jason, how he does it. He's perfect blend of education and humor. 
And these, let's get dive into this leadership aspect here. That's your new book coming out. Let's start off with the blunder. What is the biggest blunder mistake you see that people that try to lead others, they don't see or just doing things the wrong way? Oh, that's a cool question. I mean, I'd say it's probably twofold. One is that they haven't led anything or don't lead anything currently. And the other one would be a lack of self-assessment. And that would be through a lack of journaling and learning more about yourself. It's a it's kind of more of a spiritual journey rather than simply reading and, and thinking about leadership. It's about how are we actually changing and shifting our own focus, our own interaction with our soul, if you will. And I think that's where the blunders come in for the leadership that could be such a greater uh, trait that so many could have. So they just don't know they don't know. I, I see it a lot too with a lot of managers thinking that they're leaders because they ask someone to do something they do, but they're not truly leaders. I think a lot of it is that we follow a manager because we have to, and we follow a leader because we want to. But this self-assessment you're talking about, you're just saying they just don't know. Is it the mistakes they're making or they just don't have the right skills to lead? What do you think is the biggest challenge there? Yeah, I think a majority of the people that are called into those leadership positions, however they've received that you know, title, the title doesn't make the person and it really matters as far as everybody can be a leader no matter their position no matter their title but just because you get asked to do that or get a raise and get that new position a new place doesn't mean that it's happening what I like to talk about is the the promises that you've made to yourself and how you can have greater integrity in your work and in your life and so are you congruent on and off your stage is what I like to say because when a we're talking about performers. When I do my presentation, I say, you know, if you went to a show and a performer didn't keep their promise to the audience, that means that they didn't sing their hit song. They disappointed you. But then there are other performers that are wonderful on stage and put on a nice show. And then backstage, they're a jerk, a prima donna. And so how can we make it so that we're congruent on and off our stage? As leaders, this is extremely important because we can't just show up to work and pretend that we're a leader for the day and go home and not be a great leader in our home. And how are we coming to work fully present, 100% engaged, interested in the people that we lead? And that's not just at the building. That's not just on the webinars and the phone calls. It's being that kind of person in the drive-through on the way to lunch and back. It's the kind of person that does greater level of interaction. I call the promise the highest level of engagement we commit to in any experience. So really, what's your promise to the world to utilize your gifts of leadership or your gifts of interaction and willingness to be interested in others? And that's what the promise is. The book is called The Promise to the One, and the one is you. What is your promise to yourself that you've made to live a life of integrity and morally, ethically, just living the best self that you can be. A lot of times at these conferences you and I speak at, Kurt, they're talking about goals. Hey, let's hit our goals and let's set new goals. And, oh, we missed these goals, but let's get some new ones. And I'm all for goals, man. I've been setting goals my whole life. But I've found there's something interesting in the goal phrasing, which says that if we miss a goal after we set it, we just set a new goal. But if we make a promise and we break it, we've kind of dug a hole. And so how can we make it so that we are promise makers 
but also somebody that keeps their promise. Why set a goal when we can make a promise? We're not saying goals aren't important, you know. I mean, we're saying goals are particulars or promises or proclamations. So what are your greater proclamations in your level of integrity, in your level of self-assessment, in becoming the best person you can be? I like that. Let's dissect that. Listeners, I hope you caught that. The promises of yourself, which is the most important thing that people tend to work on last, are you congruent? I mean, the word's getting thrown around. Are you genuine? Are you authentic? So important. And you can't be a leader. And on the show, we call it self-leadership. You can't lead yourself. You can't lead other people. That's what we're talking about here. And everyone works on that last for some reason. They don't keep the goals to themselves, the promises to themselves. So why is that? What is the biggest challenge you see why we're not keeping our goals? Why we're not being congruent to ourselves? Because people sense that. They see that. It's As we talk about on the show, those subconscious triggers, especially when we talk about trust, it's such a knee-jerk reaction. And one of the big aspects of trust is congruence to yourself and to others. First of all, why are we so bad at it? And second of all, how can we become more congruent to ourselves so we can lead ourselves better so we can lead other people better? Well, you know, I think it's kind of the very similar thing to if I were to come to you and say, hey, Kurt, I'm going to sell you this $10,000 program that'll help you become a better person, to think better, to create greater things. You might be a little less inclined if I were to sell you that way rather than say something like, hey, Kurt, if you spent $10,000 with me, I'm going to show you how to make a million dollars worth of business. I mean, it's just because of the kind of the way that we think about ourselves, investing in ourselves. We're always thinking about other elements of the promise. And I'll be releasing other books about this, but when I speak about this topic, I say there are three elements of the promise. The first element is the audience. Those are our clients and customers. Those are the people we have to serve, and we think of them first. And then we have the second element of the promise, which is the family at work and the family at home. A lot of people consider the work family as their real family, which is amazing, and they should treat them that way. And they need to keep promises there or they'll be hated on their team. And then there's the family at home who's, who hopefully gets what's left over of you when you get back from serving the people that you work with as your audience and your family at work. And the final element is the promise to the one, which is yourself. And yes, it's always last. I put it last on purpose because it's the most important part to play and work on. And that's why I wrote the book first and do it backwards in terms of how I speak about it. Because we are so worried about work. We're so worried about making money. We're so worried about making it so that we have things happening in life and we forget ourselves. We're not congruent with that because we're just trying to make a living. We're trying to get through day to day. But if we can actually stop and say to ourselves, maybe I need to wake up an hour earlier, or even maybe I need to sleep an hour longer, What are the promises that need to be made in our lives that are just very simple? Nothing too overextending. My one friend, Dave Crenshaw, talks about creating a to-don't list, which I love. What are you doing that you shouldn't be? Who could you delegate to? And what are the promises that you have made to yourself that are not being kept? Such as, for me, I had this goal for years to write this book. And it was killing me. Like every day I'd go to bed and say, ah, I did everything for my clients today. My audience was served. I did everything for my team. I got them everything for every project. 
I gave my all as a dad and as a father and as a husband, and I am exhausted. There is nothing left for me. And as I kept making these goals to write each day, it never happened until I made a promise and said to my family, hey, I'm going away for a couple days and I'm going to finish this book. And I made this promise to go finish it. And it got done. Now I feel way better about my life. My business is going to change because I kept a promise to myself. My family's already happier because they know I'm happier. That's the promise to the one. And we have to truly start there. I love that. The promises to yourself is so important. And again, everybody works on it last. Those little promises, the little things, waking up for an hour, the 10-minute the walk. And, and I know what it's like to have a book in your brain and you need to get it out and it just gnaws at you every day until you listen to the universe and keep those promises to yourself. So very important. Start there first. Now, you mentioned earlier, too, that when you arrive to work or whatever you're doing, that you got to arrive fully present and fully engaged. How do we do that? Maybe you're not even feeling it. Maybe it's Monday morning. Maybe you're just not there. How do we always be as leaders fully present and fully engaged? Yeah, that's a cool question. I like to say, imagine you're a performer and you're taking the stage for the 975th time in the last year and a half. <laughs> and you're in front of an audience that doesn't seem to really be that excited and, and they're all bummed out. But as long as you sing your signature songs is what I call it. I went to a Billy Joel concert years ago. He had 39 out of like top 40 hits. I mean, he had so many hits. It was crazy. And at this concert, he did like 38 of the 39 hits, but he didn't sing his main biggest hit, which was the piano man. And the fact that he didn't sing the piano man, even though he'd done 38 of his really good songs, the fact that he didn't sing the song we came to hear the most we didn't leave. We started screaming and chanting encore and begging him to return. Even if he gave us three hours of music, we wanted to hear that one main song that we came to love and know him for. And he came back out on stage and he played it and everybody laughed because it was like a joke. He knew he wasn't going to leave without playing his biggest song. It did something to my brain re regarding the engagement that we have with the work that we do every single day. You see, if we don't understand our signature songs that we have inside of us, I call them signature moves. It's simply just what we identify our traits and skills to be, and then it's clarified by the people that we serve. That's how we magnify our promise. That's, I call it the ICM process, which is identify, clarify, magnify. So I just help audiences to understand and individuals to say, what are your signature moves as a leader? What makes you the leader that everybody wants to be led by? Well, it's understanding your signature moves. It's identifying them, clarifying them, and magnifying them. And that's a very simple process of identification through exploration of your talents, your gifts, your strengths, not working on the stuff you need to work on, but the stuff that you're actually good at. You know, we so often, we just focus on what we stink at or what they've told us we need to do better. When in reality, our performance improves the most when we focus on what we're already good at. And then once we clarify that with others, we magnify our promise. And so that's how I think you could take any boring day or any I'm tired on a Monday and go out there and say, I know exactly what my purpose is. I know who I am. I know what I bring to this business. And I'm going to go deliver that because that's my greatest performance. That's a great point. Getting in the zone, treating them like the most important person. I keep saying you're there to serve the person. And sometimes you just got to get in the zone. You got to do that performance, whether you're on stage or one-on-one -on -one or meeting with a prospect, 
you've got to be in that right place, being fully engaged and fully present. And because of this point, when you're talking to someone, are you singing the song or are you singing the words? You don't mention a lot about Billy Joel and on stage. You can tell a lot of times with these performers when they're just going through the motion, they're just singing the words. But when they really sing the song, they put their heart and soul into it. It makes the biggest difference. And that's true with leadership. And that's a really great point. Another question for you is you talk about going from likable to legendary. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I started my career in Las Vegas with the legends in concert. And really the legends are just these guys that are quite easily imitatable, if you will, <laughs> because mm-hmm. like you have an Elvis Presley, you know, and everyone thinks they can do the Elvis lips and the, oh, oh, oh thank you very much. You know, that's kind of, everybody kind of can do that. And yet nobody can be as cool as Elvis <laughs> because he's so legendary. I mean, that's why everyone's trying to do this imitation. So it's funny where you say it's easy to imitate them, but then it's almost impossible to capture their essence. And that's the importance of everyone realizing their own legendary skills, which is what the signature moves truly are. Let's say, Kurt, you're sitting there going, well, I'm not quite sure what my signature moves are. I mean, hey, I'm a speaker. I'm a leader. I'm a, I do this podcast. People follow me, but I'm still not quite sure what mine are. Well, that's okay. All you have to do is ask your audience, ask the people that you work with, ask your family. They'll help you to realize, oh yeah, you do have a lot of identifiable traits, make you who you are. Are you using them every day? And if you do that, then you'll become an even greater legend. So what is the one thing we missed about leadership? What's that one thing you want the listeners to know? (laughs) I think that as we've talked about leadership, whether it's in the terms of our audience and the clients that we serve, or even our own selves. Maybe we've skipped a little bit too much over the family portion. You can call your team at work your family, and I like that language because the words we use make a big difference. But I'd like to maybe just wrap this up on that whole concept of what kind of a leader are you in your home? Because whether you have children like I do or not, whatever your definition of family is might differ than mine and from yours, but the truth of the matter is how we show up at home is how we show up everywhere, and what kind of leader we are in our family with those that we love the most, how we treat those people, the words that we use, the the love that we show, the care, the littlest things matter, and that spills over into our entire lives, and when we start to fail in that, then no other success can make up for it. That's probably the best message I would recommend our listeners consider is how are you fully present at home? And I would like your listeners to consider their phones and their actions on and with their phones. You see, we so often are laughing at children and the amount of children, uh uh-oh, Siri's listening to me here. The amount of back and forth with, hey kids, put your phone down, put your phone down. When in reality, the parents are the ones that are being sucked in like zombies. It's a matter of saying to ourselves, am I really working at home as an entrepreneur? Do I really have to be on call 24-7? Or can I actually put this away and be fully present with my child or with my spouse, the person that I love the most? If we just look them in the eye, connect with them on an individual and intimate basis, it changes everything in our relationship. So the question is, as connected as you are to the world through your phone, how disconnected are you because of it to your family? 
So true. So true. That's a great message. So Jason, where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, my website, jasonhewlett.com, has more information there. I love doing keynote speeches with the entertainment mixed with the education and leadership principles, and that's the best place. I also have enjoyed learning LinkedIn the last couple of years, where I used to be more on Facebook and Twitter and elsewhere. LinkedIn's kind of where it's at, so I'd love for anybody to connect with me there. Hopefully the book, as soon as it's out will be a hit, apparently, because I just did a pre-sale of 500 of these for one company. We did a rush order to get it out in time just for this one big order. And the people that are sending me feedback is insane. I did not realize people would actually read a whole book. (laughs) And they're, they're like loving it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So this is very fulfilling to have a book that people go, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I never thought of it this way. I'm doing the exercises. I love the stories. Very readable book. So that'll be available soon on Amazon and elsewhere, but jasonhewlett.com is fun. Thanks, Jason. That was awesome. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully everyone got some great pointers on how to maximize your influence with the tools about yourself, leadership, even self-leadership, and the great pointers about family. Remember, we're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, YouTube under Maximize Your Influence or go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com to take your Persuasion IQ test to see where you rate. Grab the latest edition of Maximum Influence for free and also get access to advanced persuasion tools at Influence University. Master these skills, become more influential and go out and persuade with power. (laughs) 